are here for a reason. This, 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 this news just in. We are your news now. Right on radio. For continuous coverage, the latest information, separate fact from opinion. Get the truth. Get the news. You're listening to Right On Radio. You are here for a reason. Yes, indeed, you are here for a reason. Welcome to Right On Radio, the Sunday program. We'll be continuing with our study of 1 Timothy, and this is chapter 3. This is all about uh, the qualifications for pastors and deacons. And I would suggest to you that this particular chapter is important because, again, we want to improve our discernment in these times that are quite frankly overwhelming and uh, there is a great need for discernment and knowing the basics will certainly help you to do that. I've got a great worship song that I want to play in just a moment. The reason I chose this is it actually goes along with this chapter. Believe it or not, you'll see the connection when we get towards the end. But it's also, uh, there's many versions of this song. It's an old hymn. But it, uh, this particular version is just sung with such sincerity in my mind. Um. I really think it's going to bless you. But first, let us pray. Heavenly Father, what an honor it is to serve you. What an honor it is to be in your presence. Father, what an honor it is to be trusted with this community. And Lord, I pray over this entire community, Lord, that you do improve our discernment, that you do give us more clarity into your word, as your word is life. And Father, I do pray that each and every person listening will have improved health, improved provision, and mostly improved faith in you and understanding of your word. Lord, I recognize that it doesn't come by me serving and reading your word. Lord, I'm just a tool here, an instrument of your desire, but it is your Holy Spirit that ministers to each and every one. So, Father, I invite the Holy Spirit here into our presence. Lord, I invite the Holy Spirit to speak through me, to glorify Jesus Christ and the Father. And Lord, we just we just love you. You are worthy of all of our praise. Lord, we owe our lives to you because you are not only the provider of our first birth and created our spirit, our soul, our body, but Lord, we've survived death because of your gift of eternal salvation. It's the blood of Jesus that speaks on our behalf. So we thank the Lord for the shedding of his blood, for his sacrifice, for God becoming a man, being shamed, being crucified. There is no greater sacrifice that could have been given. There is no greater, there's not one conceivable than what you did for us, Jesus. So we praise you and we give all glory to God. Amen. Hey, this is a, this is a good one, folks. Uh, this is C.C. Winans. Uh, for those of you who are just listening on uh, Podbean, 
it's CC Winans is the first one you're going to hear, but it's actually her background singer that takes the lead. And wow, wow, is it powerful. So to God be the glory. Amen. Can I say thanks for the things? Oh, this is my testimony. He's done for me things so undeserved. Yet you gave your love for me. Voices of a million angels could not express my all that I am ever hope to be I owe it all to thee come on I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, that really blessed me this morning. I hope it blessed you. And I hope it blessed God with your sincere heart playing along with it. Amen. Welcome to everyone in the chat. Thank you for being here. A good morning. Uh, thank you for being here, Misty, as always. And uh, Michelle, Natasha, Katie, Revolutionary Bliss, welcome, welcome, everybody. Thanks again for being here. 
So we're going to talk about overseers and deacons and overseers or pastors, shepherds. There's many different, uh, a teacher would also qualify. And this chapter seems pretty straightforward, although there's a, a couple questions that I really want to get you to weigh in on. I have prayed about uh, a couple things in this and sought the Lord for answers, and I'm just going to trust that uh, the Lord heard my prayer and the Holy Spirit will speak through me uh, during this. Well, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3, fairly short chapter. It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer. It is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, skillful in teaching, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And a not, not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not insincere, not prone to drink much wine, not greedy for money, but holding to the mystery of the faith with clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then have them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one should act in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. Beyond question, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. <clears throat> Amen. God bless the reading of your word and minister to each ear that has heard it. Thank you, Lord. And welcome to my viewers on Facebook and uh, the other streaming services that we are on. Uh, 
what are they again? <laughs> I forget. I know Twitch. Um, just, I think we're on eight different. Uh, Odyssey, of course. Welcome. Rumble. So again, looking at this chapter, we need to look at those who are in the pulpit. And why are we given this instruction by God through Paul, who is the author of it, obviously, uh, writing to Timothy. Timothy is still in Ephesus, and Paul is off ministering, planting new churches. And when Paul plants a church, he leaves people in charge so that they're not, you know, they just don't go on their uh about their things their own way. And if you remember last chapter, he was warning about, you know, shut, shutting down the voices of the false teachers that are coming in, giving a new gospel. So Timothy, in this case, whom he's writing to, is the overseer. He is the pastor, the head pastor. And Timothy needs to bring other people under him because, let's face it, Ephesus is a big town and at the time, they were doing home church, so there was probably several home churches, not just one. And you know, Timothy needed to bring up more elders, more deacons, more pastors. So he's describing what the qualifications should be. And I think it's also worth noting as we go through this, when we look at those who have churches that are very much in the public eye. And I'm going to pick on them because they're very much in the public eye. Uh, and these are, you know, the, let's call them the mega church pastors and everything else. And when we look at these texts, just think to yourself, do these self-proclaimed pastors hit the mark? Again, we do this as an act of discernment. And yes, when we discern, we are to judge. Now, we are not the judge because we don't judge whether someone goes to heaven or hell. We don't judge whether someone, uh, we judge their actions and then we decide whether we should partake or walk away. God will judge them for their actions. But for us, should we be fed by those ministries? I'd say some of them are good. Some of them are not good. And you we'll have much more ammunition after this particular chapter. So let's just start off in uh, the very first verse. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, by the way, the King James will say bishop, um, we can also say this is pastor. It is a fine work he desires to do. What's interesting to me in this right now, uh, just the first thing that comes here, comes to my mind. If any man aspires, so that means if it's in that person's heart, Man, I, I feel like I really want to serve God and I feel that I've got a good teaching gift. Notice the word that's missing. Called. Can you just aspire to be a pastor without specifically being called? I think so. Now some are called. Paul was called. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Um, he aspired to be a Pharisee. 
and then Paul was called. But some, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that they're bad ministers. <laughs> I think eventually they might fall into their, they might be called, but they could possibly become a pastor first and then hear their calling. Okay, you've served well as a pastor. Now I'm calling you out to the mission field, or I'm calling you to be an apostle or something. So I just want to say that not everyone is called, and you know, some people who go to Bible college, uh, perhaps that wasn't the call of God on their life, but they really desired it. And they went, and God can honor that, and then put a calling on their life. Let me know what you think about that. Um, I just, it came into my mind, and I really thought it was worth mentioning. Verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach. What does above reproach mean? It means that no one should have things over you, that held against you. So if you stole in the past or something like that, um, people could say, well, that person was a thief. Yeah, but I, but that person who was a thief might be a changed man now. Perhaps that was before Christ in his life. And he went and made it right. So he, you've made things right, and it's beyond reproach. So there's nothing, and not only people in the church would find fault in you, but people outside of the church. And you're going to see that later on in this particular chapter. Beyond reproach does not mean perfection. We all fall short of Christ. We aspire to be more Christ-like. We all fall short. There is none that have become perfection. So we're not looking for someone who is perfect. We're looking for someone with no major issues in their life. And the husband of one wife. <laughs> Sorry, I just looked at the, uh, <laughs> at the uh, comments. Uh, yeah, uh, elevation is mentioned. Um, if you look into that, the, I think there, what I've seen is a false gospel being preached. So I'll just put that in for the person who typed that. Um, maybe I'll do a show on it. Go back to poker face. A husband of one wife. This is something that I have prayed on because. At first glance, and, I, and I've actually held the belief for years that if, uh, and it's more of a fundamentalist approach, that if someone is married and then divorced, can they be a pastor again? In our world, there's a lot of divorced and remarried pastors. Is Paul disqualifying them from being a pastor? Um, put put in your uh, put in your comment in the in the chat if you don't mind. I'm curious to see what you think. So I have previously held a, f a fundamentalist view saying that, you know, no, if, uh, <laughs> if someone was unfaithful and their, their marriage split up or, um, no, you can't be a pastor. And when I, when I prayed about it this morning, 
I believe I've got some clarity from the Lord. And when I say I believe, I'm not saying this with 100% conviction, okay? So I'm just putting it out there. I think that you a pastor has to be married, or sorry, if they are married, should just have one wife. And you know, let's say it's their second wife, which is common today. Well, they're still just married to one wife and there has to be redemption in the church, folks. Everyone has fallen short. And maybe it wasn't that pastor's fault that he got divorced. Maybe it was his wife who stepped out on him and he had biblical um, means for divorce, but he remarried. So, you know what? I'm actually, I'm, I really think that it's just being faithful to one woman. Now, what if someone is unmarried? That Bible college student who hasn't found his wife yet, but has gone into the ministry to start his career, uh, so to speak. Um, I don't think you have to be married, but if you are married, be married to one wife. Um, and, and run a good household. So that's my thoughts on that. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, should I go back to my fundamentalist view? I'm pretty sure that uh, if someone marries again, they're okay in God's eyes. Temperate. So you can't be quick to anger. If, uh, if someone blows their lid, you know, especially from the pulpit, because someone challenges their doctrinal stance, um, they're not qualified. Self-controlled, well, that's pretty evident. Respectable. Is the person respectable? You know what, and that's so up for interpretation what defines respect, respectable is different to every single person. But I think in general, this person has to be in good standing in the community, <clears throat> both in the church and outside of the church. Here's the tough one. Hospitable. Hospitable. Actually, I'm going to come back to hospitable because I'm, I'm going to tie it in with something else. Skillful in teaching. You know, so what he's saying here is a pastor, an overseer, must be skilled in teaching because a pastor really is a teacher. You're to feed the sheep with the word of God as to teach it. A pastor who just preaches, I don't think is a pastor. Remember we talked about preaching separately. Preaching is that guy standing on a soapbox. There's a time and a place for it. Calling attention to the gospel. But if you're not feeding your sheep, you must be a teacher. It cannot only be preaching. If someone is out there just preaching, I'd say they're not a pastor. Because they're draw just drawing attention to themselves a lot of the time. Verse 3, not overindulging in wine. Does that mean a preacher 
cannot drink wine? <laughs> no, it says not overindulging in wine. And you have to understand, this is 2,000 years ago. Uh, times have changed, obviously. But still, um, I think it's fine to have a drink. I personally enjoy a drink. Uh, we're certainly called not to be drunkards. It'll go into that later here. Um, but also, a preacher should not be um, drinking and, and let's say someone in your flock has a problem with alcoholism. Just because you're permitted to drink wine, should you drink wine in front of that person? No, you shouldn't. Because that would really go against your conviction in having love for your people. Not a bully, but gentle. Not contentious. And free from the love of money. Now, here's where I'm going to pick on some of these mega church people. And listen, I get it. Um, maybe you didn't get rich from the donations in your church. Maybe. Uh, and some of these people write many books and they have a big platform and they get lots of money from selling books, for instance. There's nothing wrong with that. There isn't. There's no, God wants to lift up, I'm not going prosperity gospel here, but if you can handle money, God wants to give you money. Just most people can't handle it. That's the truth. I could go on for hours on that topic. But when we see some of these mega pastors who have used their mega platforms to sell mega amounts of books... And they have mega mansions and private jets. Let's go back to that word, hospitable. So hospitable, to me, it's easy to be hospitable to those you love and to your friends. Especially if you have someone with some wealth. It's easy to throw a big dinner party and make it lavish if you have wealth and treat those you love. But how many of these mega mansion, mega pastors would invite that dirty, unclean, homeless guy who sleeps on the bench outside of his church? How many of those people would that mega pastor be hospitable? Oh yeah, come into my house. <laughs> you want to go for a ride on my private jet? <laughs> I don't think so. Why? Because of the love of money, which is the root of all evil. It really is. The love of money. Oh, I couldn't let a person like that into my house. I have jewelry and I have precious things all over. That vagrant might steal from me. As if that precious vase going missing would hurt your fortunes. Beats the love of money. So just think about it. Do the mega pastors pass the test? Well, only God knows their hearts, but we are called to judge their fruits. You know, someone like Joel Olstein probably has a hundred suits worth over a thousand dollars. Probably easily, I'll bet you. How many does he need? Could he bless an upcoming guy in his church who happens to be around the same size and just starting a business with one of those suits? 
How often does that happen? I don't know. Just saying. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. In other words, not yelling at his children and, you know, you're only to be spoken to, you're to be uh, seen and not heard. How many of you remember that from your kid? My grandmother used to say that to me all the time. You're to be seen and not heard. <laughs> that was ruling with an iron fist. Um, but keeping your con children under control with dignity. They want to be under control because they love and respect your, their parents. They honor God and they honor God's commandments because you've taught them well. And I think it was last week or the week before I told you the story, oddly enough, about my friend Tim, one of my mentors, Timothy, if you will. And as I said, he, he would hire for high positions. Uh, and what he would do is he'd take the application, he'd call the guy up or the woman up on a Saturday afternoon and, you know, he'd just say, hey, is it now a good time to talk? And the guy, because they want the job, and it's a good paying job. Oh, yeah, of course, it's good. And then when he says it's a good time, oh, by the way, so listen, I'm I'm literally right around the corner from your house. I'll stop by. I'll see you in a minute. And he would get to go in, catch the person somewhat off guard, and see how they're running their household. And again, I make the point because it's noteworthy. He wasn't judging by the how nice the house was, how, uh, you know, what kind of car the guy had in the driveway. It didn't matter to him. It mattered how he was running his household, what his family was like. And for all of you entrepreneurs, I'm telling you, this is a good thing to do. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Absolutely. You know, if you can't manage your own stuff, you think God's, you think you should be managing God's stuff? <laughs> no. And number six, it hit me because there's actually someone that I'm praying for right now that has come into a position of some authority, I, I would say. I don't want to give out clues because some of you might know who I'm thinking about. But he's a fairly new convert. Well, I'll just read verse 6. And so you shouldn't be a new convert. You need to be somewhat wise and experienced in living out the Christian life because the Christian life will throw a lot of different things at you. It's not easy to serve God. It's certainly not. Um, so verse 6, and not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation occurred, incurred by the devil. You see, when you become conceited or boastful and having a position as a pastor, you have some authority. And how many stories have we heard about pastors using their position to uh, get with women, for instance, in their congregation? Uh, things like that. There is a power that comes with it. And with, gr with greater power, there is greater temptation and it can easily become conceited. And, you know, especially if people are constantly coming up to you and saying how great your sermon was. Oh, that was mesmerizing. You're a gifted speaker. God has certainly called you. It's easy for someone who is new in the faith to get puffed up. Someone who's been around in the faith for a long time has already learned the lesson that uh, pride comes before the fall and getting puffed up is pride. And when you look at the word pride, 
the middle letter in it is I, 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 I. Someone who always is saying, I do this and I do that, and they're getting puffed up, folks. And I know someone who's going through this right now, and I'm praying for that man. <clears throat> because I see how the devil, he's opened up a door for the devil to attack him. Verse 7. And he must have a good reputation with those outside of the church so that he will not fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. So in other words, um, if you were just in the church and every time you're in the church, you're holy as now, and then you go outside the church and, you know, you talk, you speak construction, <laughs> you know what I mean by that? F this, F that, because you're with a different group of people. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. And again, you're set, you've, the, there's the trap has been set, the snare of the devil. And a snare is exactly that. It's a trap. And people who, it's really double-mindedness. If you're double-minded, the enemy has set a snare for you and you're going to step into it and it's going to lock on your foot and you are going to be stuck there suffering until God eventually lets you out through your repentance. And to each person, that's going to be a different amount of time. Some, some, not only is this qualifications, but there's some real warnings here. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. Uh, first of all, let's just define what a deacon is. So we have pastors and elders in the church. So a pastor is the overseer, the shepherd of the flock. And there might be more than one pastor in a church. But, you know, essentially... They're at the top. They're the ones with the most responsibility for the flock on them. And they should also be teachers and all the other qualifications that we just listed. Deacons, on the other hand, work with the elders and with the pastors, but they are servants. Servants in the church. So, you know, a deacon will do a bunch of stuff like in, uh, in Acts, there was that story about the women not being fed and that's when they really started introducing deacons. Okay, we, you know, it's not right for me as the pastor, you know, uh, they said the elders would say to be, you know, praying and fasting and teaching and doing this and, and still waiting on tables. Like, I can only do so much. We need to bring some other people up to help out. And so that's where the idea of a deacon came in. And a deacon is just there to serve. You know, it, if you have a physical church, it might be a deacon might be there as your parking lot attendant or you know, the, a greeter at the door, an usher uh, into seats, uh, someone who cleans toilets, you know, sweeps up afterwards. Um, deacons do a thankless job before the Lord. They're usually not seen. They won't get a lot of congratulations. But they're there serving. And, you know, I, I know of one couple in particular uh, who were friends of mine in, uh, in a church that I used to attend. Really good church. I guess if I were to go back to church, that's where I would go, essentially. Um, but now I've got this and, and we all have fellowship together. So I feel called here at this time. 
but yeah, we I'll still go to their social events and things like that. Um, but there's this one couple, uh, Christine and Ray, and what a godly example of deacons they are. They go above and beyond every single time, and they do it with joy. Um, and I've seen them do it for over 20 years now, and they do it with joy every time. And behind the scenes, most people don't even know. They just they're just taken for granted, and it doesn't matter. And I'll tell you why. Because they get their pleasure knowing that they're serving God. They don't need man to come up and oh wow, you did such a great job on that. That's not what they're in it for. And they are really, really sincere. And when I was at a real hard time in my life, uh, literally, I you know didn't even have a car. I was a single dad. And uh, Ray would pick me up and drive me around, you know, if I needed stuff to do. That was the church. That's what church is supposed to be. He just saw a need. I didn't ask. He just saw a need. Jeff, let me let me take you out here. Let me help you do this. Let me. I never asked. He never asked for gas money. Never. You know what I mean? Godly people. And in God's eyes, are deacons less than a pastor? No. No, it's just a different role. You're still serving God. You know, I think even in this uh, right on radio community, think, you know, on Telegram, we've got, what, about 12 admins. They don't get thanked for what they do. But they serve people. They minister to people. They help me significantly. I see them posting scripture. I see when someone's uh, having a thing of confusion, they'll do their best to just lift that person up. I've never seen them condemning. I've never seen... They're godly people and they're serving a thankless job, but they're serving God. They're not serving Jeff. They're serving God's people who are in the Right On Radio community. Much like our prayer team. Our prayer team does more than just um, two prayer meetings a week. I want you to know this. And not so that they can be, so you can go and thank them for their tireless work or anything like that. Their reward is in God. In fact, I, I Kimberly last night, I hope you don't mind me saying this, Katie Q. Um, but, you know, at the end of the prayer meeting last night, she just, she said, she made the statement, I'm uh, not saying it verbatim, I'm, but she goes, you know, I just get so much joy when someone comes and asks me to pray with them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like because she, her joy is in the Lord. It's not in the action. It's not in the edification from that other person. Oh, thank you so much for praying with me. That's not where her thank you comes from. She's creating treasure in heaven. And everyone on the prayer team thinks that way. Every one of them. They're not doing it for Jeff. They pray for me. Thank God for that. I need a ton of it. Because um, I'm kind of front lines here, folks. I, I get attacks that I don't ever talk about. But I'm shielded because they choose to serve God and to serve you. So deacons are very important in the body of Christ. 
but it says must be men of dignity. Um, I, there's no reason that I see why a woman can't be a deacon. Uh, just want to say that clearly. In fact, it even goes on to say women uh, here. But deacons likewise must be men of integrity, not insincere, not prone to drink much wine, not greedy for money. So you're seeing the same qualifications as a pastor. And by the way, uh, if you ever want to be a pastor, why not start serving as like a deacon in your church and let God elevate you? It's a good way to be tested in your faith. Uh, these men must also first be tested, then have them serve as deacons if they are beyond repro reproach. So how could a deacon, how could a person be tested to see if they're going to become a deacon? <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, I was listening to one preacher uh, talking about uh, this subject this morning. I like to get different points of view uh, after I read the chapter myself. And uh, he made the point, and I thought it was brilliant, that uh, one great way to test someone is to watch them after they've been accused, especially if it's falsely accused. Because when you when someone hits your personal character, and that's all that you have, right, is your character, and someone does a character assassination on you, how do you react? I thought, what a brilliant, brilliant, uh, way and not that you'd want to falsely accuse your potential deacons uh, but you know it can happen and how someone will handle that is probably a really good test um by the way people put out false stuff about me all the time they twist they it's just it's ridiculous and i don't even respond to it and I'll tell you something. Um, there was a pastor in the same church that I was describing with those deacons. Um, the pastor who has moved on and really uh, gone into his calling. So he was a pastor for many, many years, a great pastor, a great teacher. I always knew his calling was something different. And I told him that while he was a pastor, he disagreed with me. And about three to five, I guess maybe five years later, he went into his calling from God. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but there was a split in this particular church. Um, it was two churches that came together, and the church that had joined this original church, the uh, pastor wanted to do a power grab, the one who came in, and he really slandered the lead pastor of the church. He did a character assassination. It was untrue, the things he said. Provably untrue. And I'll never forget, and it, it hurt me so bad because Pastor Dennis, um, he said, the Lord told me not to respond. And I'm, at the time in particular, I had just fire in my veins. <laughs> and I'm like, Dennis, you can destroy this guy. You could put an end to this right now. And this went on for like over six months. It was painful for everybody. Everybody felt the pain, both sides. And it was split. Because the Lord told me not to respond. And you know what? After about six months of pain, the Lord restored him, restored his good standing, which the because the accusations were false, and he eventually went from there into his calling. So things worked out really, really well. 
but that was a test. And at the time, no way I was passing it. <laughs> oh boy. I'm not sure I'd pass it now. Verse 11. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips. By the way, you know how how uh, gossip works in church? Now here it gives the word malicious, harmful gossip. <laughs> but let me just give you an example of church gossip. And most are guilty of this. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? We really need to pray for him because of this situation in his life. You're gossiping. You're covering it with Christianese. <laughs> Why don't you let that person tell um, their shortcomings to the one you just said? It's gossip. Perhaps good intention, but it's still gossip. Why not just pray yourself or with your husband or your wife? You don't need to tell other people. Just saying. But temperate, faithful in all things. So if you're given duties um, as a deacon, uh, listen, you know, I, uh, I, I, I agreed to serve, but I'm not the toilet cleaner. But you were asked to go clean the toilet. Faithful in all things. Would you just do it because you're serving God, not the man who told you? And by the way, this is a really interesting point. When you see a servant, let's say like a deacon, and, and I said a pastor, in God's eyes, one isn't higher than the other. In God's eyes, they're both serving. Maybe the pastor has greater responsibility. In fact, not maybe. The pastor does have greater responsibility. But it doesn't mean that God loves him more or is more thankful for his service than the deacon. No. Because the ways of the spirit are opposite of the ways of the world. If you see someone, let's say, well, let's say a boardroom table and all these powerful executives are sitting around the table and then, you know, they have a catered lunch. And so in come the servants, right? With the lunch and they'll carefully place the coffee in front or a meal. They only serve from the right-hand side. You know, there's etiquettes that a servant must follow. And the world would say, well, those men at the table, they're being served. They're certainly more important than the servants. But that's an inversion of God's truth. They're not more important than the servants. In fact, the servants are more likely to be saved. <laughs> in real, in just being real here, the servants are more likely to be saved. So they're actually probably more important when you look at it through spiritual eyes because we are more important than people who are unsaved. We're God's children. Now, every single creation, created person, uh, is meant to come into the kingdom of God. But some choose not to. Deacons must be husbands of one wife and good managers of their children in their own households. Same thing. For those who have served well and as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. That's a really interesting statement. When you think, listen to this. Are you struggling in your faith? Do you feel unimportant? Do you feel lowly sometimes? You know, this was mentioned on the prayer call last night. Sometimes you wake up just feeling kind of worthless, no energy or what. 
So what it's saying here in verse 13, go and start serving. It'll solve it. Listen to it. Listen to it again. I'm going to read it. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves. So you get this if you serve a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And you know what? Think about this. It's everyone knows the saying, it's better to give than receive. When you receive a gift and it's a very thoughtful gift or that can bring you joy. There's no doubt about it. But when you give a gift that brings joy, your joy goes way higher than receiving any other gift. I think we all know that. If you don't know that, you're sad and you need to change things in your life. So if you're feeling down, if you even, I'm going to be bold enough to say, if, if you're suffering from some depression right now, God's word here is saying that you'll obtain a gift by serving selflessly. A high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Wow. I didn't see that till now. Honestly. Thank you, Lord. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write that you will know how one should act in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And this should go without saying, what is the church? It's you and I. It's when believers are gathered together and the spirit of the living God is present. That is the church. So are you in church now? By God's definition, yes. And that's all that matters. The pillar and support of the truth. You know, if you listen to the new goggles series, I felt it was so transformational in my life something that God gave me just right then and there. It wasn't rehearsed, but how we cannot get the most out of God by ourselves. It's a team sport. And you'll never get the full picture of God without being surrounded by other believers. Iron sharpens iron. So that's how you become the pillars and the support of the truth. And beyond question, great is the mystery of godliness. This too, I find to be a very interesting statement. Because we know what the great mystery of God was. Uh, we learned that when we went through Ephesians. Um, that is the fact that the from the beginning, salvation was for the gen both Jew and Gentile, not just for the Jews. That was the great mystery that was revealed of God. But then Paul says this here, great is the mystery of godliness. When you are a spirit-filled person, people can tell there's something different about you. Every one of you listening, you're born again, and you believe that you're born again. When you walk into a room, the air should change. I notice this sometimes, and, and I want to point out something. It's almost a conscious thing. Because if I just walk in, not really walking with God, just going about running errands or whatever, um, I go in, 
There's nothing. If someone confronts me and then all of a sudden I turn into gospel mode, the air changes. But sometimes, and I encourage you to do this, you walk into wherever it is you're going. Maybe it's a friend's house. Maybe it's a grocery store. Just say to yourself, I am a child of the Most High God. And because I carry his presence, the air in this place is going to change. Not because of me, but because him that is in me. Glory to God. And so people who are unsaved know there's something about you. It's the great mystery of godliness. And you cannot have godliness without God. Oh, I know there's like monks and people in other religions who um, might appear to be holy. They do not appear to be godly. Well, maybe small g godly. (laughs) But not of the true God. Finishing up. He was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the gospel in just a few lines. How easy of an elevator pitch for the Lord Jesus Christ is that? He was revealed in the flesh. God was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, (laughs) seen by angels, proclaimed amongst all the world, the nations. In fact, the world clock started ticking. Believed on in the world, and he was taken up into glory. Hallelujah. Well, thank you for being... Wow, this went over an hour. I can't believe it. (laughs) I thought this was going to be a short chapter. Well, praise the Lord. And uh, thank you for being here, everyone. I'm going to read the chat off air uh, because it's already gone a little bit long. But God bless each and every one of you. And of course, remember to love your God, love your family, Love your neighbor as yourself and make a difference in your community.